Gabe. Yeah, what's up, Steven? What? <laughs> How was your weekend? It was okay. Yeah? Welcome back to the TCP. Welcome back. We've got Gabe here. We missed you while you were gone, listener. This is our fourth episode. Yeah. What have you learned about podcasting? I've learned so much, actually. A lot of it is a feeling that you develop, so it's hard to put into words. Um... <laughs> <laughs> That was a terrible <laughs> answer. That was like, the, so I, I, yes, but no. I'm not going to answer your the question. The thing that you've learned is a feeling? Uh, no. It's good to be prepared. It's good to be prepared. And, I mean, we're fairly articulate, and the tone of our voices isn't that difficult. It's not, articulation. It's not grating. My, your voice is silky smooth. It's buttery. It comes off like Christmas morning. Mine is like a train wreck. So the second thing that Gabe has learned is how to criticize himself further. Well, I'm always my most harsh critic. I think we all are in a way. So what else? Anything else that you've learned about podcasting? Try to also form your thoughts ahead of time. (laughs) Because it's it's clear uh, with both of us sometimes what we're learning. We're we're building on our successes and on our, our strengths and our weaknesses. We're shoring it all up. Speak for yourself. We have some good stuff today. I think we can really get yeah, lively. A little bit more prep went into today, which is funny because this might be one of my least favorite films from this year's prospects. But you're also more passionate about it in many ways. Because I'm a huge comic book fan, and today's film that we're discussing is the... 1917. <laughs> <laughs> the Joker. The Joker. Actually, it's just Joker, right? Oh, yeah. It's just Joker. Because the Joker JJ. would have probably been... Jared Leto's Joker, if he'd gotten mm. it. I think I was reading there was somewhere in the contract where he was working towards a solo Joker movie, and Warner Brothers on the side was like, hey, this isn't a good idea. No one seems to like Jared Leto's Joker. <laughs> and so I think they were recording Scorsese, and they wanted him to do something, which eventually led to Todd Phillips, and Jared Leto was a little upset, and he left it alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He didn't want to fight that, so better off, I think, for him and everyone. <laughs> Well, welcome to TCP. The Cult Popcast. Uh, what, what is this podcast about? <laughs> Listener. <laughs> Let's get an audience response from that. Anyone? <laughs> uh, just pass the mic out into the crowd. This is a semi-spoiler-free podcast about pop culture for those in the know and for those who don't know. Mostly for those who don't know. Gabe, <laughs> what, how would you define pop culture? It's difficult to define. Is it? Yeah. Okay. It's it's constantly evolving. It's like the it's like the collective conscious mind. It's where people are at in history, you know, entertainment, politics, everything. I think pop culture is just I don't know, I've never had to de- define it before. How more, would you define more, it? I would define it as popular culture. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Excellent answer, very diplomatic. You can see how our minds work differently there. Well, I think there's an interesting question within that question. What is the question? What determines pop culture? Mm, But I didn't ask you that question. Yeah, you just asked me what it was. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Pop culture. Ask me next podcast and I'll have an answer. Maybe maybe by podcast five we'll get this down. (laughs) What's this podcast called again? I don't remember. So so why should people listen to us? Oh. (laughs) 
<laughs> because these are things they might discover they're interested in. Or, for instance, we might bring up something that they didn't know, and they'll be like, oh, that's interesting. And then hopefully they won't just take our word for it. They'll go look it up afterwards. Also, we're having a good time. Having a good time. Yeah. King? Was that King that sang that song? Queen. King. <laughs> yeah, it took me a minute. I used to get Queen and Prince mixed up. How embarrassing is that? But not Super. because of the music, but because just of the nomenclature. Uh, it's the, like royalty. I thought Queen was Prince and Prince was Queen. Mm. That was when I was very young. Like 14. <laughs> yeah, I was 15, <laughs> 20, 21. Young in the mind. Not anymore. Now everything makes sense to me. And for, for those of you that don't know, um, these first 10-ish episodes were breaking down the best film nominations in preparation for the 2020 Academy Awards Yeah, that are coming out on the 9th couple weeks from today Feb- february 9th and again today we're doing the joker the joke or just joker that's the second <laughs> and it's today like we're doing joker joker laugh maniacally in the background i think he spent a lot of time working on that laugh oh yeah every person that's ever played the joker has spent a lot of time working on their laugh yeah it's I can, a notorious I can tell character. you stories you could yeah personal stories no stories i've heard <laughs> from heath ledger and mark hamill and leto oh yeah they've all worked on their distinctive laughs I know a little bit about Ledger's Joker, but that's the extent. I mean, he locked himself in a room for a month. Yeah, that's and, what I heard. And kind of drove himself crazy. I have this theory that the Joker, metaphorically, was the one that actually ended up... Um, killing Heath? Killing Heath Ledger, in, in, as a metaphor. Well, to extrapolate that a little further, I think the... People have historically referred to the mask. They call it like the crow or something Mm -hmm. as that sort of persona that would affect you psychologically. Psychological, yeah. And I think... Persona. I like that. I saw it somewhere that he was warned by... Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson had warned him. He's like, this this character will take its toll on you. Yeah. Which is funny because Jack Nicholson is my least favorite... Really? ...portrayal of the Joker that I've ever... Less than... uh, Leto? Jared Leto? Yeah. As a huge comic book fan myself, Leto's portrayal of the Joker was, I thought, extremely accurate. Very flamboyant and... Yeah, over the top. The thing that they got kind of strange about that movie Mm -hmm. was the costume design and his whole look the more gangster, the hot topic the gangster joke yeah. hot topic joker the hot topic damaged joke. right on his forehead <laughs> yeah funny. a few of those choices i disagreed with very strongly as well but i didn't hate it overall no and it prompted you know characters such as margot robbie's harley quinn which is now kind of having her own film yeah i think the, she was the best thing to come out of suicide squad upcoming birds of prey which hopefully isn't as going to be as much of a dumpster fire as it's expected to be. Whoa. Yeah, I have a lot to say about that. Um, Do you have high hopes for that movie? For Birds of Prey? Yeah. Are I'm, you expecting I'm it? I'm already trying to contemplate how to not see that movie. How to not see it? Yeah, because I have a... And we'll get into this a little bit later in the podcast, but I have a problem with the DC cinematic... Well, that everyone has a problem. Extended universe. Warner Brothers has really been gunking the... <laughs> gunking the cogs. Let's talk about something. Let's talk yeah. about so something today's, next. T- today we're talking about the Joker. Or just Joker. <laughs> <laughs> now I did it. What is the Joker about? Oh, like, yeah. And I was going to say. That's it's, important. It's essentially, it's essentially the story about a guy who was raised to believe something about himself. A truth that is not actually a truth. And then the world rejects him and people like him. Which he marginally kind of understands, I would say. 
Yeah. And then decides at one point to hell with it. I'm going to be myself anyway, but the version of himself is not actually a good person. So the movie kind of follows a man's descent into like a villain madness. madness. Yeah. Heart of darkness. Yeah. Mind of madness. And that's kind of what the movie is. Cool. We're going to talk a little bit about the movie, the statistics, the analytics, the hard facts for you. Uh, it was released in October by Warner Brothers, which was the first sign of a possible dumpster fire because, as Steven said, Warner Brothers has not been hitting consecutive home runs in the last 10 years with their properties ever since Christopher Nolan's Batman, it seems. I'd have to agree. Yeah, I think many people would agree. And those aren't those aren't hot takes, and we, we're known for some big, challenging ideas here. But it is... Hot topics. It is hot topics. So the Joker was made for a modest budget of sixty million dollars. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew. Approximately that. is somewhere between fifty-five and sixty-five. About sixty million for production. I'm not. That probably doesn't include advertising because it seems like Joker was everywhere. Yeah, I think the advertising was. Up, and I think up I don't wazoo. usually doubles it at least, right? It's always different. You could call this movie one that has made a profit. To this month, I guess you could say, the global worldwide gross of this movie is over $1 billion. What? And that's since October. So it's been like three or four months, and this movie has made over $1 billion worldwide. I think it was 100000 in the opening weekend or two. Word of mouth is strong. When it comes to movies, and everyone was talking about it, whether it was good or bad. True. I think a lot of people liked it. It a was lot of pretty liked it. well received across the board. Critics, audience, all age demographics, they seem to at least have a good time in the theater and enjoy the rides. So, having a good time. <laughs> You're going to have to finish the song next time you do that. I'll make a supersonic man out of you. It's my favorite Prince song. Don't stop me. <laughs> <laughs> So it made a lot of money. I think it's the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. That's an interesting fact. As I said, the ratings were fairly high across the board, ranging from 60 to 90%, regardless of the outlet. You know, you got your Rotten Tomatoes, you got your Metacritics, you got your IMDb score. <laughs> and everyone's given it high marks. People want to know about that stuff. Rotten Tomatoes has influenced yeah. the box office in the last few years probably more than anything else. Really quick on Rotten Tomatoes. Most people that I've talked to that are that are film snobs hate Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. They've always held to Metacritic or something else. They, they think Rotten Tomatoes is trash and the rating system is trash because it's essentially 50% or higher. It's either a smash or it's not, you know? Yeah. And whether or not it's accurate initially, it has a huge impact on the it, success of a movie. I think the mass populace likes the simplicity of, is this movie bad or good? And yeah. that's why I think Rotten Tomatoes has taken off as it has. They look at it like a stoplight and it's either green or red. <laughs> right, exactly. Should I see it or should I not see it? I need to it? see out of the out of the 15 movies that are out, I need to choose one. This one's certified fresh. <laughs> this one is ripe. It's a ripened tomato. I don't know what I don't know what accent this is. You know, <laughs> it's Christopher Walken. We should always just do that, I guess. It, it can't be offensive if it's walking. You know, it's offensive to him. Okay. <laughs> Do you think he goes to Rotten Tomatoes to gauge whether or not he wants to watch the movie? To gauge whether or not he to wants ga- to watch the To movie? gauge. Did you, just, like, did you just slip your name in? No, I didn't. He's like, this movie's, my movie is, uh, it's rotten. It didn't do well. We gotta fire my agent. We've gotta go. We're one step away from turning. The worst. Yeah. <laughs> not us. I mean, society, we're one half step off of a Black Mirror episode where people also now have Rotten Tomato ratings. Yeah. And like, oh, Joaquin Phoenix? 
is now certified fresh. <laughs> he, he's at a 70% in 2020. He's doing well. All right. Talking about the Oscars. The Joker. Sorry, Joker. <laughs> Joker's been nominated for 11 Academy Awards. There are only 24 possible Academy Award nominations. These are the 11 nominations for Joker. Best Actor for Joaquin Phoenix. Best Picture. Best Director. Best Original Music Score. Best Adapted Screenplay. Best Cinematography. Best Sound Mixing. Best Costume Design. Best Makeup and Hairstyling. Best Film Editing. And Best Sound Editing. Nice. So we've eclipsed all the movies we've talked about so far on the podcast. There was an eclipse. The moon went in front of the sun, and the moon was Warner Brothers. The Oscars are all about awards momentum, as we've mentioned before. And so, real quick, we have to talk about the Globes. The movie won for Best Actor. Joaquin Phoenix got his Golden Globe for drama. They also won the score for Hildur Gudnidetir. I can't say it very loudly because it requires my mouth to become a shape that I've never experienced before. Anyway, she's incredible. So those are the 11 places it's up for. There's a possibility that it walks away with the same awards. It probably will, actually. The same as the Golden Gloves? Yeah, which is score and actor. Spoiler alert, I was going to say this later in the podcast, Uh-oh. but um, I think it will win for scores. I think Hilda, oh, yeah. Hilda, last name I refuse to pronounce, did a fantastic job. She's incredible. I think and we the, talk about her the score, I was saying this about 1917, the score mixed with the imagery... And the tone of, I mean, it really just created the tone of the film. Hilda. Hilda. Created tone. She's incredible. Let's talk about. Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips. So the director of the movie, who's also the writer, he co-wrote it with a guy named Scott Silver. Todd Phillips was born in Brooklyn, in New York, very close to our boy James Mangold. He attended NYU film school for a little bit, but he dropped out because he couldn't balance the financial burden of trying to make his first movie and paying for the tuition because it's expensive. Film school is ridiculous. True. Moved on. He started making documentaries, actually. That's where he got his start. He transitioned into comedies. There was Starsky and Hutch and some movies like that. Do it. <laughs> That's a quote from Starsky and Do Hutch. it. Do it. It was Judd Apatow, Adam McKay... Mm-hmm. And Todd Phillips, they called him the Rat Pack for this. Yeah. These kind of comedy movies, like yeah. that, eventually turned into Todd Phillips' magnum opus up until the Joker or Joker, just Joker, <laughs> JJ. But his biggest movie that really got him was The Hangover, yeah. which actually to this day I've never seen. Classic. It was pretty influential. I mean, it, it launched Zach Galifianakis's career. Yeah, Bradley Cooper was probably already pretty well into his career by then. I think his career it sent him over the edge to where he became known because of that film yeah i mean ed helms was kind of from the office so so that movie was very successful as well it was made on a 35 million dollar budget but it went on to gross over 400 million dollars worldwide that movie did so well they made two more and that trilogy ended up grossing a total worldwide gross of 1.4 billion dollars so the hangover was successful so joker yeah not the joker joker the joker has has grossed almost as much money as the entire trilogy trilogy. yeah so todd phillips is a pretty profitable guy right now by the way i mean for those that don't know a billion dollars is a huge deal for a film not all films reach a billion. A lot of Marvel films do. A lot of big blockbusters do, but not most films. They call it the club, the billion dollar club, because it's hard to get into that club. So that was Todd Phillips. He got this movie made. And a couple other important people for the movie. The DP was Lawrence Scher. I only bring him up because he's nominated for cinematography. Uh, the editor was Jeff Groth. And it was because of Todd Phillips that Joaquin Phoenix said yes to the role. He wrote this movie for Joaquin Phoenix. It was him who he had in mind the whole way. 
when Warner Brothers was trying to get Scorsese online, they wanted him to get Leo for the role. And even when Todd came on board, they wanted Scorsese to help produce so that Leo could still be in the movie. But Todd Phillips always had Joaquin in his mind. A skinny Joaquin. He's committed. Yeah. I don't have anything written for him because he has an extra... <laughs> Joaquin has an incredibly storied life. Mm-hmm. All, all I actually wrote down was that he was born in Puerto Rico in 74. <laughs> because I can't... Amazing. You can't... He needs at least an episode. He has come in and out of the industry multiple times, starred in many incredible roles. One of my fondest memories of Joaquin Phoenix was when he was making the movie I'm Still Here. I want to say for about one and a half to two years... He seemingly was losing his mind or or acting very crazy or very strange or weird. I remember that, yeah. And it was because he was secretly, unbeknownst to the public, was making a movie about himself. He was doing rap music, right? Yeah, and he 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 basically said that I'm quitting acting. I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue rap full time. Wow. Yeah, it was at least a year. Yeah. Everyone was and then freaking it, out. It didn't make sense until the trailer dropped for I'm still here and people were like, Oh, was he lying to everyone? (laughs) The greatest trick the devil ever pulled. And at that time, I think the internet wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. And so people through word of mouth were trying to figure out if this was a lie or not. Uh, It was pretty funny. I wonder if he could get away with it today. And then as far as commitment, he lost a bunch of weight for this role. I think he lost 50 pounds, which I mean, he doesn't have a lot to lose and to lose 50 pounds. The makeup crew, when they were doing his makeup on the Joker. Joker. <laughs> yeah, no, I could say the Joker. When <laughs> The makeup crew, when they were doing his makeup, were saying he was so hard to deal with because he was so hungry all the time yeah. that they would tempt him with crackers. So they were just feeding him basically saltines the whole time. That's crazy. And that's, that's basically all he lived off of making this movie is just eating little crackers. Yeah, he really goes the extra mile to get into these characters. But he seems to have recovered pretty well. Which, honestly... Psychologically as well. He's doing a lot better than other past directors have. I think Um, Joaquin dedicated one of his awards. Might not have been the Globe, but he dedicated it to Heath. Oh, that's cool. Or he he mentioned him. He's like, this was, you know, the inspiration. Stuff like that. I didn't know that. That's cool. That's Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, A few quick notes about Hildur Gildner de Tier. Because she's incredible in her own right, and I just wanted to take a moment to talk about her. She was a frequent collaborator of Johan Johansson who is one of the biggest Icelandic composers of all time. A lot of great music coming from there. I don't know what's in the water in Iceland. Water. Yeah. Johan has scored many movies in his time. One of the most memorable is Sicario. And Johan passed away a few years ago. It was a terrible loss. Hildur has worked closely with him. She's kind of his protege or spiritual successor. She's collaborated with him so many times. She actually worked a lot on what he was working on. So now she's kind of carrying that torch for that same similar style of music. If you don't know Johan Johansson's music, you should go check it out on Spotify. Anyway, Hildur won the Emmy and the Grammy for Chernobyl, five-part miniseries. She absolutely destroyed the competition on that. And all of Chernobyl was an incredible production. But her music won the Emmy and the Grammy. She won the Golden Globe for Joker, so she's on a tear. Mm-hmm. And she's probably going to win the Oscar as well, I as we she said. Will. Yeah. She became involved with the Joker production, with Joker in production. <laughs> she was involved in the process very early on. Even in the scripting, Todd Phillips would send her stuff before and during shooting, and she would just begin composing, which I think is unusual. Usually the composer gets it all after. She sent them music that they would use during production, and they would play it on the set, and they would even play it in 
Joaquin Phoenix's ear via headset so he could interact with the music mm -hmm. while he was shooting and mm -hmm. it would help set the tone of the movie for everyone involved even down to the choreography of a scene he would be moving to the music and his dance is a big part of the movie it's kind of one of the ways he expresses himself is through this kind of his dancing almost interpretive dance yeah it's very eerie and it was apparently modeled after the score that she had already been working on so it she really set the tone for what that end product would be in fact piggybacking off of that there were many scenes that were written to play out a certain way and then because of the dancing because of Hilder's music the scene ended up going in a completely different direction I, I think that the film for me at least ended up feeling more montage -y mm. because of that interesting and for a lot of people I think that worked yeah I don't know if I got the same feeling from it. I think there were only a few sequences where he was dancing in that way. It still feels weird calling it dancing what he was doing, but that's essentially what it was. But there were only still a few scenes to me where I remember it as being the point of the scene, and it made sense in the context because of the character. It's not that the whole movie was a montage. I'm, I'm not trying to say that, but it felt like there was a lot more interpretation yeah. as an audience member to what was happening on the screen. I was going to say that I felt personally that the third act and everything that transpired in the third act should have actually been the second act mm. so that mm -hmm. as the film ends, I think that should have been the end of the second act. And I, I would have liked to see more the, of the movie take one step further beyond what that film was. I can see that. I felt like there, the first two acts were almost the same, the same story beats, the same kind of character development. I feel like we got two first acts and then a second act. And then I feel like we didn't really get to see the third act and that. And so I left this film feeling sort of unsatisfied in that way. So you went into it looking for more of the typical Joker. Yeah. I mean, I would have been nice. <laughs> Cause <laughs> been I nice think to they see were... the Joker in, I, in I see where a movie called Joker. Yeah. I see where you're coming from, and I think they were always clear with their intentions and succeeded in their execution to make this really an origin story. For instance, if this wasn't a movie that was made for an already established character who everyone has preconceptions about, you probably would have loved this movie to death. 100%. Yeah. That was another point I was going to bring up, was, yeah. was that... I do think that this movie didn't necessarily need to be a comic book movie or based on any comic book character. I think it just could have been a good movie. I think that Warner Brothers successfully duped the mass populace into seeing this film and, and thinking it's kind of a comic book movie slash an indie film when it's actually a, a, a blockbuster. Yeah. Made by a really big studio. I think that's exactly right. <laughs> and I and I think that's why it's gotten so much hype. I, but I, I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of people who love film and have not liked this movie because of the story. When it comes to directing, cinematography, acting, score, even production design, all that stuff is on point. But it's it's the story that is very lackluster. And I think it's because it's, it's sort of one note for me. My friend, who I respect a lot, he said it's kind of like watching somebody put up Christmas lights on their house and, and they do this extravagant Christmas light display. All these lights and, you know, reindeer and Santa Claus and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and then they forget to plug in the lights. <laughs> I, I laughed when I, I laughed when I heard that because I'm like, yeah, it's kind of true. All this stuff was on point. They they nailed tonally. If you could turn off the dialogue for this film and just watch it with music, and I feel the same way about Tron Legacy. Like if you just turn off <laughs> the talking, yeah, you could get what's kind of going on. It actually, might have been a more interesting movie. Yeah, I think I agree. I think a lot of that dissatisfaction stems from mere criticism 
talking about the third act and how you wish it had gone on a few minutes. But I think if you can make peace with the place that it ended and what it was up to that, the idea of something being one note sounds pretty negative. The way I think of it is that the movie just wore its heart on its sleeve. It never, aside from the marketing where you talked about Warner Brothers duping the world, the movie itself, I felt like it was never pretending to be something that it wasn't. It was always very clear about what its intentions were and about the story and the themes. Like it was, it's not a very deep movie. Right. Like I said, that's true. A lot of the stuff are very that. clear, mental illness, stuff yeah. like that. And I didn't mind that. And I thought it was fine for what it was because I wasn't looking for anything deeper than that. I was okay with the ending because we've seen so much of the Joker in the past. And I think that this character, in my head at least, it would have just gone to where Heath Ledger's Joker had gone. And right. I didn't I didn't need to see that again. I can just rewatch The Dark Knight. Even though it's unnecessary to have an origin story for the Joker, it was interesting to see it. I feel like they didn't need to label this as a DC film or as a comic book movie or have this character be a comic book character to have this be successful. I don't think it would have been so successful, though. I think it people still would have talked about it, but yet, yeah, definitely. Which may, maybe that's maybe that's a product of the times. It, well, it absolutely is. Everything is name recognition these days. You know, if this had been called something like Taxi Driver 2 or whatever... Or, I mean, if it had been called something that was not the Joker, it wouldn't have done as well. Everything is sequels. It's You have to connect it to a larger franchise for it to do well. Sequels, prequels, and remakes. It's the modern age of entertainment. That's what we have. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, our film professor used to say all the time, we'll never get that era of classic filmmaking ever again where people were, were, were true artists, like true art filmmakers trying new things because the studios didn't really know what to do in that time. And yeah. now they, they rarely take chances anymore. And that's why we get the movies that we get. That's why we keep getting sequels, prequels, and remakes. I think we're slowly coming up on a time where we might have more of that explored specifically because of the advent of streaming platforms i think the quality isn't going to be there (laughs) at least initially but i think people like netflix who are willing to throw money at anything that comes through the through the door yeah you they're going to be harder to find but you're going to have smaller more interesting stories crop up over time i feel like there are these indie filmmakers who make a, a ari aster kind of an indie hit and then a studio comes and just throws a bunch of money at them. And then they become all of a sudden a huge blockbuster director. Or not blockbuster, but a, a large indie film director or something mm-hmm. where the scale and, and the money behind those films goes up a lot. I've seen this happen multiple times. I mean, Mark Webb was a great example where he directed 500 Days of Summer and then was handed the Spider-Man franchise. And then he took that and then failed. And it's happened so many times. And Marvel's kind of doing that right now, but but they're a lot smarter about it. But they're handing these big budget blockbusters over to people who are, are lesser unknown. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if we'll ever get back to that artful filmmaking period. Not, probably not on the whole. Not where yeah. the whole industry is generating that kind of content. Generally, like between the, the late 60s to early 80s, that whole thing. Yeah, that's fair. But I think people who are looking for those things will still be able to find them today. And that's why I shouted out names like Ari Aster, Robert Eggers, Mm -hmm. people that are willing to make those. But even they or every film that they put out is always just gets better and better because of the budget just keeps going up and up. It's not necessarily the budget. I think they're just becoming better at their craft. It's also the budget. 
I promise you. Yeah. Part of part of why you like Midsummer more than Hereditary is because the budget was larger and there was there was more that they could do. Yeah, it's not a huge margin. Money creates freedom, right? And when you have more freedom with a film, you can do more things. You can yeah. you can make it look cooler, you can But you also have to bow further post. to the man. They have better True. They have bigger pull with your creative that's product. true, but if that studio or that person who is bigger trusts your perspective, then they won't interfere as much. That's so rare, though. It is rare. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but I, I feel like we're seeing that more and more. As we, It's interesting because studios don't know what to do, so they end up having to trust filmmakers with their money. And then the filmmakers are, you either are a success or you fail immediately. Yeah, and that depends on the studio, too. Warner Brothers couldn't figure that out 100 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've had a lot of... Well, uh, until the Joker, maybe they'll take some chances. Joker. So, again, I was saying I'm a huge comic book fan, and I'm going to rant a little bit about DC Comics. Do it. And why this bothered me so much. So, I've heard people say that they felt it was different than other portrayals of characters of the Joker. Like, for example, Heath Ledger's Joker, Mark Hamill, maybe even Leto, are Jokers who just want chaos, and there is no rhyme or reason why they did what they did. This Joker doesn't seem like that kind of Joker at all. All his actions are selfishly motivated. His murders are all out of justified necessity. Like, again, pulling from the truth that he believes about himself. He's not trying to set the world on fire, like, quote, unquote, through chaos, like ledgers or hamels, but is trying to uh, right the things he feels wronged in. Which, in the end, both Jokers end up with the same kind of result, like the world on fire result, but it wasn't ever his intention to set the world on fire. Absolutely. So I think this is true about Joaquin's Joker in contrast to the other Jokers. Mm -hmm. That's not what bothered me about this portrayal of the Joker, but that's what I've heard people say about it. What bothered me personally is that this was a completely unnecessary movie in the era of comic movies. And as a massive fan of DC Comics uh, and someone who is still hoping for redemption for some kind of sensible arc between DC movies... This movie felt very out of place for me in any kind of potential world building in what could have been a beautiful DC Comics cinematic universe or extended universe. They call it the DCEU, I think. Which is why I'm okay with this being a one-off film. I'm hoping they won't do a sequel, although it's already been announced-ish. Which seems unlikely, like I was saying, because Warner Brothers is in charge and this movie was a success. and Smash success. Yeah, yeah. I think in the end, it didn't need to be a one-off film about a comic book character slash villain. It just could have been what it is, which is essentially a big blockbuster studio, like I said earlier, pretending to do an indie film about a societal reject who ends up slowly going crazy and getting revenge on the people he feels have wronged him. So it didn't follow the origin story of the Joker really that well from a comic book standpoint. Mm -hmm. The origin of the Joker was very different. And so this is complete re-understanding of the character. The Joker in the comic books is a very different Joker. And they've gone so far as in the comics to explain that there's been different versions of the Joker that may or may not have been even different people uh, over the course of the comic book history. Mm -hmm. So in the comic book world, you could have, hypothetically, Ledger's Joker, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, and like Jared Leto's Joker. We are all Joker. Yeah, they're all different versions who have fought Batman at different times and such. Do you think this Joker could become that Joker in time? Because it seems like that's the direction he's heading at the end of the movie. Because it seems like he's becoming the person that just wants to set the world on fire by the end of the film. Yes, but it just doesn't make sense to me in the scheme of knowing the Batman chronology. Batman, through all comic book history, has been the steady pillar in comic books, and Joker is his 
yin to his yang, that like kind of the opposite force to the immovable object. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I think that's what the Joker is. It's all, and there's always this give and take. And when one tries to outdo the other, the other one overcomes. And then it's just, it's constantly this push and pull. And there's this thing that's been said even before Christopher Nolan's Batman movies that Batman and the Joker have this, this, uh, it's not like a love, but it's, it's like this need for one another. Yeah. It's like they need each other almost like in this deep romance, but it's not a romance. It's this thing where neither can exist without the other. And I think, I think Nolan said that even in the dark Knight. but I don't think that this Joker that we see here in this film, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is the Joker from the comic books. I think it's a completely different Joker. Yeah. And they were clear, I think. And therefore my deduction is that it shouldn't have been called Joker. <laughs> Yeah. Or had anything to be associated with the character of the Joker. I think your concerns are justified. But while it is unnecessary, it was interesting to give a character who has historically been not very interesting on his own some depth. And I think that's why a lot of people responded favorably to it, is because he was always just that opposite force for Batman. Yeah. And there was never any really humanity, which is the character, as you said. Mm-hmm. But just to see a sympathetic view in an independent movie, even though, like you said, it didn't need to be a Joker movie, they wanted it to exist in its own right. If we're talking about Joker becoming Joker and a sequel, Bruce Wayne in this movie was like 10. Yeah. And, you know, this Joker was like 45, 50. No, he was like in his 30s. Well. Joaquin's not, but in the canon. Because they said he was 30 years ago, he was 10, almost 10 or something. Let's say he's 39. Let's say he's 39. (laughs) So so when you asked me originally the question, do you think he could ever become that Joker? My mind immediately went to that. Well, no. First of all, the age gap doesn't work. Second of all, because that age gap doesn't work that they've already established in, in the canon of this movie. Yeah. If you did a sequel, you could never have that Joker being the the chaos to batman's steady rock pillarness yeah that i was describing that's true i think my question was less about the joker in that canon in that universe and more about just that character for himself if he would get to that frame of mind where he would become that person i mean it would be interesting to see joaquin phoenix's joker just going crazy and for a movie of just chaos i would actually really like to see that that's the film i was hoping to see this time (laughs) But I don't see a point if there's no Batman on the other side of that. What are we going to see? You know, a 50-year-old Joker fighting a 20-year-old Batman? I guess the, maybe that would make sense. Yeah. I guess maybe that's why they cast Robert Pattinson as Batman. True. A young, young Batman. It's interesting talking about it and criticizing it from the story perspective because they, from the very onset, they wanted to make a movie that was the opposite of what you wanted to see. And I think they, like I said, they executed their vision perfectly. And I think that's why it's good. And I didn't really want to see another Heath Ledger in that role. So I would rate it like an A or something, you know, that's good on all points as someone who wasn't so attached to the comic source material. Do you think this will win Best Picture? Um, No. I think it has no chance of winning Best Picture. (laughs) That's not not a detriment to the movie. I'm just speaking realistically. No, I know. It's just how you... (laughs) I wish you could see his eyes look at me deadpan. Any other year. No, this is, no, of course not. I'll say this. If this movie was made a year ago, it would have beat Green Book. Against Green Book? Yeah. You think so? I think so. Wow. That's saying a lot. Uh, unless Green Book was the the Academy's desperate plea to appease people that were crying out for diversity, rightly so. It just doesn't, it feels weird still in retrospect. So I think if you put something like Joker that has so much acclaim up against a more underwhelming year, it would probably right. win. But this year we have Hollywood, we have 1917, and we have Parasite. And those are the three clear front runners from any 
a logical human brain. brain. And I love all those movies, and I love The Joker, but it's not going to win Best Picture. Yeah. It'll win, I think, some of those other awards. I do think it'll win score. And it has a good chance, I think, of actor as well. You think so? Especially coming off that Golden Globe for Joaquin, Mm. the whole campaigning for awards thing. I don't know how it works, but I think he's up against... De Niro and Leo. This wasn't Leo's best movie. It was fun. It's not going to get him another Oscar. Adam Driver might win. That'd be cool. Could win some of the technicals as well. Cinematography is an interesting nomination for that. And I'm going to keep an eye on that as well. Hope for the lighthouse. Yeah, I guess that's the only nomination I think. We got to win something. (laughs) Any final thoughts on the Joker? What is it he says when he looks at the camera? On Joker? On Joker. Well, as always, uh, as passionate as we are about these films, and we are passionate about many other things as well. Yeah. Live passionately, people. And uh, to take one out of um, Ellen DeGeneres' book, <laughs> be kind to one another. Unlike the Joker. Unlike Joker. Yeah, unlike Joker. Don't go riot in the streets, please. <laughs> Don't burn down the establishment. We there are other ways to fix your problems. <laughs> <laughs>